Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Verse number 16. Each week I look at the passage and I try to decide, okay, what verses do we want to cover? What verses go together? And the Bible's like paragraphs. You know, each paragraph has its own subject. And then I come down to verse number 16 and I look at it and I say, you know what? That, that stands alone. I mean, that, that verse is too important. And I will say the same thing about next week's verse. That, that verse is so important. It, it needs to be studied alone by itself. It stands on its own, you know, two feet, if you will. And as I was preparing uh, the message for tonight, many of the theologians and commentaries that I referenced to gain insight and information, many of them said the same thing, that this is, in fact, one of the most important verses in the Bible. And it really is profound. So tonight, perk up, pay attention. This is important. Verse number 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I read that, and the first half of that verse Stands on its own. Makes sense. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Okay? Continuing in the same sentence, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'm thinking, okay, that's important too, but I, I don't see how they relate. But they're in the same sentence. Oh, it relates really well. You know, that's why the Bible says sometimes it's not so obvious So you have to study. And Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved. You know, the most valuable time you have is studying God's word. And when you study it out, it may seem like it's kind of disjointed. Two different topics, music, the word of God in the same sentence. But they really do go together. Now remember, let's set the stage. Colossians was written... Because false teachers were trying to mix their errors with the truth of the gospel that Paul had taught them. And that's going to create problems in the church. People are going to start choosing sides. People are going to start gossiping. It was, it was going to become a real problem because some people were, were embracing those false teachers. And others, it could be understood that they rejected those false teachers. So you get into this conflict in the church. And we just talked about recently how, you know, that God, God wants to see his people dwelling together in unity. Okay? So this letter is written for that purpose, to, to set right what was wrong. Now, the key to them not being led astray, and the key to them experiencing the blessings of God, was their faith in and their commitment to the word. That's why he says, okay, in that context, there are false teachers coming in and it's stirring up trouble. People that have been friends 
are not friendly. People are gossiping. It's looking like a church split. So what does Paul tell them as part of the answer? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the answer to so many things. That, that, that can help us in every area, in every aspect of our life. That's the answer to every problem we have. This verse teaches such an important truth that it's worth studying this one verse by itself. And let me, let me start by asking a question. Do you esteem the Word of God? Do you esteem the Word of God? The, the fact that you're here tonight, me as pastor, and I'm supposed to know the, the, the health of the flock, that's my job. I would say folks here on Wednesday night probably do esteem the Word of God. Enough that maybe even after a busy day, you still came to church. You esteem it enough that even though you would have had plenty of things to keep you busy tonight, or maybe just rest, you still came tonight. I would assume by your presence here that you esteem the Word of God. You, you do value it. And those of you that have daily devotions, oh, you may, like all of us, things may come up, you may... Miss a day, may miss two or three days, but for the most part, you, you, you're in your Bible every day. You know, that, that tells me that you esteem the Word of God. And that is so important. So, let's look at this verse. I'm going to look at, first of all, what does it say? There's something every believer should consciously do, okay? Remember, we studied it this past, this past week, or this past Sunday. It, 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 it isn't enough to know the Bible, that's important, that's, that's critical, but it's applying the Bible. If you just read it and you don't do it, then really, what's the point? It's, it's one thing to revere the Bible, it's another thing to live the Bible. So this is telling us what to do. It starts off by saying, this verse starts off by saying, let, let. In other words, invite the word of Christ into your life. And he's telling those people, let. In other words, you don't have to. And there are some people we know that choose not to. We all have family members unsaved, and sadly, maybe maybe even some that are saved. They don't let. They don't esteem the Bible. If they did, they'd want to hear it taught. They'd be in church. They'd be in Sunday school. If they did, they'd have their own devotions. And it's true of you. You can either let or not let. So Paul is saying, let. Let what? Let the word of Christ. What is that? That's the word of God. That's the Bible. Let the word of Christ do what? Let it dwell. That means the word is to take up permanent residence in you. It's to be a part of you. It's to be who you are. It's supposed to be a powerful force, a powerful influence. Your life is different because you let the Word of God dwell in you. How? Richly. The Word is to be viewed as a very valued guest. You want it to dwell. You want it to live. You you want to value the Word as a a valued uh, guest. And you you value it richly. So it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly. Okay? And whether the rest of the world 
knows it or not, believes it or not, or applies it or not. And if it means you have to swim upstream and I have to be, I have to swim upstream, and whether you're ridiculed by your friends because you do allow it to dwell in you and it changes you and you have to swim upstream, then you need to be willing to do that. And that's what it's teaching us here tonight. Now, why is that important? Because you can choose to let it dwell in you or not let it dwell in you. And you're going to make that decision every day. But Paul gives us here some really good reasons why you should let it dwell in you. Because, and this is where it ties in with the second half of the verse, does relate to the first half of the verse. Because he tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then it's going to produce wisdom. The word dwelling in your life will greatly enhance your ability to make much better choices in life. The people you know that are just having so many issues and so much drama in life, probably 90% of the reason why is poor choices in life. And probably the reason they're making poor choices in life, they haven't had time for church, don't have time for the Word of God, and certainly doesn't let it dwell in them. Another benefit when you let the Word of Christ dwell in you is not only wisdom, but in teaching and admonishing. The word dwelling in your life will greatly enhance your ability to be a positive influence on others. You know, these people that are struggling, your family members that are going through so much drama and that maybe are breaking your heart, or maybe neighbors that you're burdened for, or friends or co-workers that you're burdened for, they need for you to be in a position to teach them and admonish them. And that will only happen. If the word of Christ dwells in you richly, then you can teach. Then you can admonish. Then you, you have that of value within you so that you can be a positive influence on someone else. And, you know, I, I can't think of anything much better in this world than for God to use you and me to make a positive difference in somebody's life. I, I, I just can't imagine. Oh, it, it's good to have a nice car. It's good to have a nice house. Good to be able you know, some money in the bank and, you know, take a vacation. And we appreciate those things. And, and if God blesses you with those things, by all means, enjoy them. But your greatest joy, should be in knowing that you have made a positive difference for the Lord in somebody's house or in somebody's life. And the neat thing about that is you can do that whether or not you have money in the bank, whether or not you have a good car or a bad car, a good house or a bad house. That's the great blessing of being a Christian. You might not have any of those things, you know. Like so many of us, it might be living week to week, but the blessing is you get to make a difference teaching and admonishing. And another blessing of when the the word of Christ dwells in you richly is hymns, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That tells me the word dwelling in your life will greatly enhance your ability to communicate the joy of the Lord in song. You know, when people have a song in their heart, it's typically a good thing. And people that aren't singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, maybe it's because they're not letting the word of Christ dwell richly in them. 
And then the next thing it produces, and all this is in that one verse, grace in your heart, hearts to the Lord. The word dwelling in your life will greatly enhance your love for the Lord. You'll do it with grace in your hearts to the Lord. But that blessing is conditional, as is so many of the blessings in the Bible. You first have to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Where you value it so much that you're just into it. The best part of your day is your personal devotions, morning, evening, or whatever works best for you. The best part of your week is when you're in Sunday school, Sunday morning preaching, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night, revival coming up in about a week and a half. Now, as I was preparing this verse and studying this verse, and then when the light goes on and you can see how the first half of the verse is directly related to the second half of the verse, I continued studying. And it may not sound like it when I'm up here, but I really do study. And I really do, you know, I, I teach the, my starting point class that we really preach the Bible here. And, and, and we mean it. And it's not for me to give you my opinion. It's for me to give you what, what the Bible says and uh, what it means and how it applies to you. So in, in my study, in my preparation, I run across a message by Charles Spurgeon. And he's a hero to every preacher. You know, preachers call him the prince of preachers. And if you read his sermons, he's, they, they, are, they are deep yet practical. And he is the best at articulating things in his illustrations. He's known for his illustrations of how he can say, this is like this. And you go, oh, now I understand it. Well, I ran across a message that uh, he wrote on this verse, Colossians 3.16. And I will, with my computer, cut and paste. And I'm reading that message on this verse. And I read that. that, And you know, I like quotes. And I'm highlighting it. And I cut it and paste it. That that is good. And then I go, ooh, that's good. All in this one verse. And, And I had, like, I almost copied his whole sermon onto my notes. And then I thought, you know what? There's so much good stuff here. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to share, and I limited myself to 10. I said, I'm going to share 10 of my favorite quotes from from that message with you tonight. Now, some of them are a little longer quotes, but they're quotes. And I I hope they will do for you what they did for me when I read them. I I found these quotes, these insights, and the way he says things, I, I found them interesting. I found them compelling. I found them encouraging. I found them convicting. So let's look at these real quick. Ten quotes. Again, some of them a little long. I, I, they really touch my heart. I mean, of all the messages I've read uh, from Charles Spurgeon, maybe this is my favorite. You know, when, when I saw how good these were, maybe it won't affect you the same way. If it affects you half as much as it affected me, then we're having a good night. And if it, if it affects you as much as it did me, we're going to have a great night. Here's quote number one concerning that verse. He says in his message back in the late 1800s in England, if your time for, uh, for reading is limited, limit it to one book and let that one book be the Bible. Let it be the companion of your hours of solitude, the solace in your seasons of sorrow, the storehouse in all your necessities, the man of your counsel in all your doubts and perplexities. 
You don't get any better advice than that. If you can only read one book, make sure you're reading the Bible. He goes on to say, quote number two. So I say again that in order that it may dwell in you. See, he's preaching on this same verse. In order that it may dwell in you, it must first enter, it must first enter into you. You must really know the spiritual meaning of it. You must believe it. You must live upon it. You must drink it in. You must let it soak into your innermost being as the dew saturated the fleece of Gideon. See how articulate he is? It is not enough to have the Bible on the shelf. It is infinitely better to have its truth stored up within your soul. It is a good thing to carry your testament in your pocket. It is far better to carry its message in your heart. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? No, he can't come preach next week. He's dead. (laughs) I'd like for him to come too. It's a good thing to carry your testament in your pocket. It is far better to carry its message in your heart. I've known people that are guilty of that. They carry their Bible and their Bible thumper. But there's also things in their life that shouldn't even be there at all. Quote number three. There's ten of them. But mind that you let it get right into you. How differently some people read the Bible from the way in which they read any other book. Listen to this. I have seen a young woman sitting down on board a steamboat, completely absorbed in a very suspicious-looking book. I have passed behind her and passed before her, but she has not taken the slightest notice of me. Presently, I saw a tear brushed away from her eye. I knew that she was not reading the Bible, and it was my firm conviction that she was reading a novel. And what he's talking about there is how people will be moved by novels, but not by the Word of God. And there's some people that consume novels and, and, are, and are touched by novels. And, and if it's a good novel, if it's an appropriate novel, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it moves someone to tears and the Bible never does, there's an issue. He goes on to say concerning that same situation, that same incident, this woman reading this book, he says this, I have often noticed how such people, like that woman, let the novels get right into them, trash as they generally are, but when the most of people do read the Bible, they appear to be anxious to get the unpleasant task finished and put away. Is that convicting or what? You know why it's convicting? Because it's true in many cases. We'll turn the pages of a novel all night. And again, in and of itself, that's not bad, but, well, anyway. In some cases, they seem to think that they have performed a very proper action, but they have not been in the least affected by it, moved by it, or stirred by it. Talking about the Bible. Number four. A man who dwells in a house, now remember it says that, The word of Christ should dwell in us richly. The idea, the metaphor there, someone living in a house. A man who dwells in a house abides, resides, remains, continues there. 
Oh, to have the word of Christ always dwelling inside of us, in the memory, never forgotten, in the heart, always loved, in the understanding, really grasped, with all the powers and passions of the mind fully submitted to its control. You, you can't say it any better than that. In the memory, never forgotten. That's how we love the word of God. In the memory, never forgotten. In the heart, always loved. In the understanding, really Grass with all the powers and passions of the mind fully submitted to its control. Too many people are fully submitted to their passions or to the world or to their flesh. The people that are truly blessed are those that are fully submitted to the word of God. Number five. To push the truth of Christ up into a corner of your nature to fill the major part of your being with other knowledge and other thought is a poor way to treat the Word of Christ. It deserves the fullest attention of the best faculties that a man possesses. That's just convicting to me. Very convicting to me. Number six. Once more, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. That is, let it be your most, listen how he says it, let it be your most familiar friend. It's supposed to dwell in you. Let it be your most familiar friend. We know the people who live in our home. We do not really know other people. He says, when someone asked Mr. Whitfield, that was a preacher in the day, an American preacher, what do you think of Mr. So-and-so's character? He answered, I cannot say, for I never lived with him. He goes on to say, ah, that is a true test. It is living with people that lets you know what they are. In like manner, if you will live with the word of Christ, especially if you will let it dwell in you and abide with you as a constant friend, you will get to know it better. And the better you know it, the better you will love it. Number seven. He says 99 times out of 100, 99 times out of 100, if you meet a man who finds fault with the Bible, you may be certain that he never read it. If he would but read it in the right spirit, he would be of another opinion. And if you find a professing Christian indifferent to the Bible, listen to me of all the quotes, this was the most powerful. And if you find a professing Christian indifferent to his Bible, you may be sure that the very dust upon its cover will rise up in judgment against him. If you find a professing Christian indifferent to his Bible, you may be sure that the very dust upon its cover will rise up in judgment against him. That's sobering. But of all the quotes... I thought that one was the most powerful. But it's not the last one. Three more to go. Number eight. My dear friends, preaching to his congregation, I should like you so to read the Bible that everybody in the Bible, man, this is so good, that everybody in the Bible should seem to be a friend of yours. I should like you to feel as if you had talked with Abraham and conversed with David. 
And I can truly say that there is hardly anybody in the world that I know so well as I know David. Spurgeon talked about, and here's why. Because he wrote a book entitled The Treasury of David. So he says, in making the treasury of David, I have labored year after year in that rich field of inspiration, the book of Psalms. Till I do assure you that David and I are quite familiar friends, and I think I know more about him than about any man I ever saw in my life. That that's inspiring. Number nine. Kind of continuing with that theme. Find your choicest friends in the Scripture. Take the whole company of Bible saints home to your heart. Let them live inside your soul. He puts it this way. Let old Noah come in with his ark if he likes. And let Daniel come in with his lions then if he pleases. And all the rest of the godly men and women of the olden time. Take them all into your very nature and be on familiar terms with them. But most of all, be especially intimate with him of whom they all speak. Namely, Jesus Christ, your blessed Lord and Master. You get to know people that live under your roof. You get to know them real well. And when the Word of God lives under your roof, you get to know those Bible characters, and you get to know, as he says here, the one that their lives are all pointing towards. And that's Christ. And then we come to the last quote. It's in three different parts here. This is the longest one. He says, if you will take the word of God for your guide, even in domestic and business matters, you will often manifest a shrewdness which perhaps may not be natural to you, but which will come to you through the word of Christ, dwelling in you richly in all wisdom. That, however, is only a small part of the profit which it will bring to you. Do you want wisdom with which to master yourself? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He goes on to say, Do you need something to cheer a naturally sinking spirit? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you wish for that which will calm an angry mind, a temper all too apt to be suddenly excited? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then lastly, are you in a calling where you are sorely tempted? And do you long to know how to be kept from falling into sin? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is your position a very difficult one? Are you scarcely able to balance the claims of different relationships? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Are you expecting to have a time of intense strain and trial such as you have never experienced before? Prepare prepare yourself for it by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It shall give you all manner of wisdom by which you shall be able to baffle even the subtlety of the old serpent himself. Colossians 3.16. What does it say? This is such a powerful 
verse, such an important verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly.